I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to your Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, Ian Mendes with you uh, in one of the host chairs, and we got a little pinch hitting action going on. Uh, Julian McKenzie traveling as the flames make their way through uh, the eastern part of canada julian's on that trip and so we bring in jesse granger pinch we call you a pinch hitter what's the term for high what? e-bug pinch hitter e-bug there you go it was sitting right there what am i talking about e-bug the e-bug extraordinaire jesse granger is by um, and we're going to have sean McIndoo. down goes brown uh he's going to drop by for a, a chunk of this podcast today we're going to talk about a bunch of kind of, I think, interesting stories floating around the league. Uh, some games on Wednesday night, only a couple of them, but I think they're all interesting. You know what's funny is that Julian is in the air right now, and his team, super interesting, Jonathan Huberdo. Anytime you get a, a, a big-time star staple to the bench, it's funny, right? Because there's two schools of thought. One is, yes, finally, the coach is holding them accountable and then the other side is, well, I don't know. That's a dangerous road to go down. And that's where the Flames are at. They stapled Huberto to the bench in a win over Nashville. What's your take on a, on a star player, big name player, big ticket player being, uh, being benched for the third period of a game? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to send a message to the team. And to me, it's just up to, like, as a coach, you've got a feel for, like, you, you understand this is going to have an impact. How are my players going to react to this? And I think as a coach, you have to know, and, and, and for a new coach who hasn't been there that long, it's do you have a good enough feel on the room that you, you, you think that this is going to be a positive reaction from your players? And like you said, they're going to take it the first way, uh, which is, okay, he's holding guys accountable. If Jonathan Huberto can get benched for the entire third period, any of us can. We all need to reload. We need to back check. We need to do everything that the coach is asking. So I think that... Depending on your players and depending on the feel for your team, this can be a good move or a bad move. And you just have to trust the coach to know that that this group of players is going to react positively to this. What do you think? Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a dicey move from a new head coach, right? Like, like, right. and Huberto's got a lot of term and money left on his deal. It's not like he's got his last year of his deal. We're sitting here with seven more years left on the deal. But I I like it in the sense of you're holding people accountable, right? And and I think if if your star players aren't playing well, it's okay the odd time to bench them. I mean, we, look, we've seen it with Goudreau. We've seen it now with Huberdo. We've seen it. La remember last year, Steven Stamkos? Was it Stamkos or was it Kucherov and Point? Like, John Cooper was like, no. hey, you're not playing the third period. And I'm not happy it with Stamkos. It, it might have been Stamkos. Anyway, like, like, we've seen it happen with, with, with star players. It's... 
it's it's a big deal because I think visually watching Huberto at the end of the bench and the camera panning to him, like it, it's a very powerful visual to see a star player just be stapled to the bench and not move. But but and look, and and we're gonna talk about. Uh, a little bit more about kind of Calgary and Edmonton and Toronto and Ottawa when when Sean McIndoe comes by because uh, Julian, myself, Daniel Nugent Bowman, uh, Bowman, and uh, you know we all kind of got together with a let's take a temperature check in Canada because there's a bunch of markets here where things are going off the rails, but nothing has been gone uh, has been off the rails, Jesse, as much as San Jose until Tuesday night and Mackenzie Blackwood. Is a magician. They get outplayed. They're, they they get the win two to one. Um, I mean, if you're San Jose, how how like how are you feeling right now as a group? Because it was getting to the point where people are starting to say you are like the expansion Washington Capitals and the expansion Ottawa Senators, and you are historically bad. How much the like? It's one win. Does it take all the heat off, a little bit of the heat? Like, how much are we still looking at San Jose as like a raging tire fire? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't think one win takes the heat off. I think they need a few games of just back to normal hockey, right? Like, when they were yeah. losing early in the year, they, they they opened the season with an incredibly tough schedule. A lot of teams would have lost a lot of games playing that schedule. And, and they're not a very talented team, so of course they lost them all. But it never really got embarrassing it never really got to the point where like you're mentioning where like this is a historically awful group of hockey players until the two 10 goal games yeah to me they don't even need to win a bunch more games here in the next stretch to kind of get past that they just need to have regular losses like like a win was great that's what a bounce back to get a win over a flyers team that's also struggling but to just like play some good teams. They they come here to Vegas at the end of the week. If you can come into Vegas and play a one goal game, play like even if you don't win, just not being this 10 goal, like to where everyone in the hockey world is just watching. Like I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was must watch TV and you feel bad for the players. You know, they're playing as hard as they can. It To me, they just need a, a stretch of regular hockey games where it's not the embarrassment that those two 10 goal games were a win obviously helps, but I think you need the sustained we're, we are a legitimate NHL team performances, right? Okay. So they got one of those. Now, if you're Edmonton and Edmonton play San Jose on Thursday, are you happier that San Jose won? Because you say, okay, well, they've got their one win. They're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be super uh, ornery and, you know, they got their one win. Or if you're Edmonton, you're like, uh Oh, now they're going to be feeling it. They're going to be, Coming in this game with some confidence. If you're Edmonton, what's better that San Jose won, or would you rather that they lost and they kind of kept that 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 bad streak going? The the way the Oilers season has gone, and the way the 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 amount of attention that team gets, I think the worst case scenario is San Jose's first win of the season is against you, right? Like you yes. don't want to be the team that gives them their first win. I even saw people in Philadelphia last night saying, uh, "Like, wow, this the." The, the Flyers fans want to lose every game this year just to get a higher draft pick, but not this one. Like you didn't want to be the team to lose to the Sharks. So I think if you're the Oilers, the fact that you can't be the first team to lose to them um, takes a little bit of pressure off you. But I do agree with you that I think you're going to get a better Sharks team just because they're, they're feeling a little better about themselves. Confidence is so important. And does one win give you confidence after all these losses in a row? Probably not, but you're definitely feeling better than you were after the two 10 goal losses. Okay, but Friday night, it's San Jose, Vegas. Are we headed to another 10-goal situation? Because Vegas has been, and they, they, they did a number on Colorado. I know they took a step back in the Anaheim game, whatever. But right now, if you're power ranking the teams in the NHL, Vegas is at the top. San Jose is at the bottom. Does Friday night present a scenario in which you think another eight goal beat down could happen to the Sharks. I mean, it's, it's obviously possible. I don't think it will. The Golden Knights don't, I mean, yes, they, they put up seven on Colorado the other night, but that was just because the abs were pre were, were just pressing so much trying to get goals that they were just handing Vegas breakaways and, and odd man rushes because they were pressing. I don't see the Sharks as a team like that's going to play like that. The Golden Knights in general do not, 
score a bunch of goals. And like, yes, right. they did to win the cup. They scored nine yeah. on Florida and they have like, those are kind of in our memory, but in general, the golden Knights go out and win three to one every night. And that's just the way they play. Bruce Cassidy, really structured, conservative defense that kind of allows teams to have the puck. He's not pressuring, trying to get the puck back so we can have the puck as much as we want. They'll kind of let you hold it along the outside, which leads to not scoring a bunch of goals because you're just simply not, you don't have the puck the whole time. Um, it obviously works. It's working very well. They have no reason to change it, but I just don't see the Golden Knights as the type of team to put up 10. But I don't really see the Penguins as the type of team to put up 10, and they did. So um, you, you never know. I think it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that game. This The Golden Knights have owned the Sharks at a ridiculous level. I think they've only lost like four times to them in the regular season, and they play them four times a year for for six years now. So um, their record against the Sharks is is really, really good. They, in general, own this team. You would expect that to be the case again on Friday with where these two teams are at. Yeah, so Vegas, when we're looking at the standings, Vegas number one, San Jose 32. When we look at the franchise valuations, meaning how much each franchise is worth, there's a different pecking order. And, and I thought this was really interesting. Sportico, Jesse, on Wednesday, with the brand new franchise valuations. And it's a, it's a record year. And look, and, and I, I think we suspected this when Ottawa sold for almost a billion dollars US, we should have realized, okay, things are... Things are trending upwards. But the average NHL team now, according to Sportico, is worth $1.31 billion. That's up roughly 30% year over year. So that's that's pretty good. Um, what I'm shocked about, and I'm not surprised, Toronto's number one, they're worth almost, uh, they're worth about $2.65 billion. That's not surprising. It's not surprising that Arizona is the bottom team at 675 million. That's not surprising. What is a bit surprising, you tell me. So Arizona's at 32, they're worth 675 million. So you're thinking, okay, well the team that's above them must only be worth a little bit more. So it's like a 200 million dollar gap. Columbus is worth 880 million, which is 25% more than Arizona. What like are you surprised that it's that much of a discrepancy or is this whole arena thing kind of just plummet plummet Arizona firmly into 32 with uh, with a wide gap. So I will start by saying that I watch a lot of Shark Tank, but that's where the my business knowledge like ends right there. Like I am not I I do not feel capable of being an expert at how how many million dollars a team is worth. So I'll just start by saying I don't know how they come up with these evaluations. I think when you look at them they generally make some sense. It to me it's okay a team is worth what you can sell it for. And if I were trying to buy a potential team and I was looking at Columbus and Arizona, Columbus is not a big market. The team hasn't been good. There, there, there isn't a ton to like about Columbus, but they've got a beautiful arena. The, the setup downtown in Columbus around that arena is awesome. They've got restaurants everywhere. It's a very good setup and it's stable that you've got a stable fan base that shows up every night. You know where you're playing. It's a beautiful rink. And then you've got Arizona where there's just so much unknown. You don't even know if you're going to be able to get a rink built in Arizona. So to me, a potential buyer wouldn't even consider if you had those two options. And even with Columbus being as as much above the Coyotes as they are, I don't see how an owner could potentially could could choose to buy Arizona over Columbus at those prices just because of the uncertainty, right? Like there's so much unknown in Arizona. This could be an awful uh, uh, investment for you. Whereas in Columbus, you know exactly what you're getting, right? Yeah. You know, if I had known your TV watching habits, I could have had a smoother transition with San Jose being at the bottom and Shark Tank. It was sitting yeah, right yeah. there for me. It was sitting right there for me. Uh, and I didn't have a chance. Hey, since we're doing like lists, lists seem to be our theme today, right? We're talking about ranking the teams, ranking the teams based on values, uh, goalie rankings on all-time wins is something I'd like to chat with you about. And Marc-Andre Fleury continues to climb up the ladder, just four wins behind Patrick Waugh now for second place all-time. And you had a chance, I know, to cover Marc-Andre, to kind of get to know him. Like, what do you think it would mean to him to pass Patrick Waugh? Because Waugh is as good as Marty Brodeur is and was, and we can have the debate who's the greatest of all time. Waugh is like kind of like the godfather, right? Like he's the guy at the top of the pantheon and, you know, Brodeur is right there. But what do you think it would mean for Fleury to pass Patrick Waugh with, with, with four more wins? 
I mean, I think it would mean a lot. And it's also just because of, and, and Brodeur is also from Quebec, but the, the fact that was a Quebec guy and Fleury grew up in Quebec and that, that pro that province just means so much to him, right? Like we, 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 Russo did some great work on, on him playing what could potentially be his final game in Montreal and what that meant to him. I remember when the Golden Knights would go to Montreal, how big of a deal it was for, for Fleury. He, he loves representing his hometown. He loves, and I think, and I think Patrick Waugh is such a big deal, especially in that area. Like Patrick Waugh is a big deal for everyone who's ever played goalie in their whole life. But specifically that region, I think Flurry really looked, looked up to him, um, uh, modeled a bit of his game after him. And I think specifically not just moving up to, to how, whatever, what is it? Fourth place. Um, he, I think it being Patrick Waugh means more than it generally would for, for any other goalie just because of that Quebec connection and, and what Waugh meant to Fleury growing up. Yeah. And I think now it's funny because even, you know, six, seven years ago, I think there was a, there was a debate about Fleury as a hall of famer, but I think this sort of this second chapter of his career, especially the time in Vegas, winning a Vesna and sort of, sort of reestablishing that he wasn't just a guy that won a cup in Pittsburgh. And, you know, I think that cemented him as a hall of famer, but I'm, I'm curious at the end of the day, when people have the Mount Rushmore debate on goalies, like for me, and doesn't matter the order, but it's Hashik, Wa, Brodeur. And then the fourth head on the Mount Rushmore, the fourth mask, that's the one that's up for debate. Is there any universe for you in which Flurry is that fourth guy? I I don't think so. Um, he's great, but I mean it's it's so tough. And like honestly, I feel like the the Mount Rushmore of goalies should only have three heads. And then if you want to make a second monument with with some other, just because the gap between those three and the rest of goalies all time is to me massive there's there's a big gap like you said there's those and that's why you phrased it that way right there's these three yeah. who are obvious and then there's a fourth i feel like it's almost not fair to those other three to put a fourth on there because flurry belfour like and then and then you've got like ken dryden like it, how how hard is it to compare ken dryden to mark andre flurry like yeah the, very difficult, right? They're almost playing different sports, those two. Um, I like it's it's hard to put those two into the same context and compare them and decide. I think if you had a second monument with with Dryden, maybe, maybe Flurry could be be on that um Mount Rushmore. But I to me, the gap between Hashik Brodur and Wah and everyone else is 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 sizable. Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you what, why don't we we uh, take a pause here and why don't we bring our pal Sean McAdoo? He's like a Hall of Fame. A guru. He knows the arguments. He wrote about Hall of Fame stuff this week. Let's ask him when we come back on the other side. I'd like to ask him about who's the fourth goalie on a Mount Rushmore. So we'll get to that on the other side. All right. Uh, yeah, let's bring him in. I think we, we we possibly have him ready to go. Yeah, we do. It's Sean McAdoo. Down goes Brown. Um, back with us here on the Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. We got a question for you right off the top. Help us fill out a Mount Rushmore of goalies. We're talking about this because Marc-Andre Fleury is uh, inching in on Patrick Waugh on the all-time wins list, okay? So if Mount Rushmore, Sean, of goaltenders has, in, in whatever order you want to put it, Dominic Hasek, Patrick Waugh, Marty Brodeur, who's goalie number four? Are we limiting this to the modern era? I don't think so, right? I think I think that's the beauty of the Mount Rushmore, right? Is it yeah. Gordie Howes and Bobby Orr's can maybe work their way into it. So, cause it's tough. I mean, that's, that's the clear big three of the modern era. And there's, there's kind of a big three of the, you know, original six era, I guess, although the, they extended past that, which would be Sawchuck, Plant, and Glenn Hall. Um, I don't know which one of those guys you pick. Probably Sawchuck. I would go as number four. I, I think you could make the case that, you know, a Jacques Plante maybe bumps a Martin Brodeur or somebody like that. I know that, you know, Devils fans, no. are, you know. Okay, you're the no. goalie guy. No. <laughs> I, says no. I, I, I love Plant, and I love the idea of like a Sawchuck, Plant, Glenn Hall, Ken Dryden. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if like 
of of that yeah. as like a as Jordan like a as an old school uh like old era monument i don't think any of those four touch the top three though i, I don't know again this i grew up watching these guys i obviously didn't grow up watching any of these other guys so it's really tough to compare and like i said with ian earlier they're playing different sports almost because yeah it, and it's changed so much the the era cross era question is always so so tricky Let's be real honest. Like I, you know, I said Sacha, but let's look at Jacques Platt. I mean, you you go to his hockey reference page, look at all the Vezinas, the the heart votes, the first team All Stars. This guy was was dominant, absolutely dominant, phenomenal. Um, you know, had had a major impact on history with the mask. Obviously, uh, just a legend, an absolute legend. You throw that guy in the time machine and you put him on the ice tonight, he gets lit up by modern NHL. They're just, I mean, there's, there, it, it, you're well, right. It's, it's you're putting so him on San Jose. So, That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he doesn't get lit up by San Jose. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, that's, it's, it's always a debate we're going to have. I kind of like, ah, boy, I mean, you could make the case that Dryden should be the fourth guy in the modern era, you know, all through the seventies. Again, you know, it's different. The, the guy that I would, if, if we're making it more modern than that, then my fourth guy that, you know, we saw and appreciated in, in our lifetime, at least, at least Ian and I, uh, at his in his prime would be Ed Belfort. I think he would be my my number four ahead of Flurry, ahead of Lundqvist, ahead Luongo is a, another one that I'd uh, I'd really think of. But Belfort's got a couple of Vezinas, got the Stanley Cup. You know, at his height, was a guy that you just you know you knew. Oh man, who are the Hawks starting Belfort tonight? Oh boy, we're gonna have a real a real rough one. So um, yeah, my modern guys, that's it. But Boy, that's it's tough. Where do you where do you make that cutoff? And then, boy, who do you who do you put on it for the different eras? Let me let me just throw one one more name that doesn't get enough respect. And I'm gonna I'll tell you right now. I'm gonna say the name, and some of the younger or newer fans aren't even gonna know who I'm talking about. Bill Dernan. Look up Bill Dernan. I eat. I believe played only seven seasons, and I think won six Vezinas. I might be one off on that. The guy just. Showed up, dominated, was the best goalie easily year in, year out, and then left in his late 20s because of uh, health issues. Doesn't get enough respect as an all-time legend goalie. He's he's kind of the opposite of like Flurry and Luongo, right? Who, yep. who just played yeah. forever oh, the and sort just of person racked who up the wins, Fleury, just kept oh, on racking them up. He's a compiler, you know. He was right. never the best. He just stuck around forever. You should be pumping the Bill Dernan tires because that that guy, he and, and Ken Dryden are the two that it was just in and out quick and uh, dominant the the entire way. You know, it's it's funny. When you bring up Belfort, like when Ed Belfort first started in the NHL of Chicago, like he was a 40-win guy right away, right in the conversation as best goalie, and he continued it throughout his mm -hmm. career. I loved your column today about guys who maybe had a similar start to their career as Ed Belfour. And it looked like after like season three, four, five, like this guy, go ahead, uh, start making the bust. This guy's going to the Hall of Fame. And it just sort of fell off of a cliff for, and you had a couple of goalies in there, like Ron Hextall, uh, Danny Heatley was in there, mm -hmm. Gary Suter, I think, was in there. Uh, out of all of the names that you compiled, was there, is there one guy still on there that you're like, you know what, I, I could actually make a case that this guy is a borderline Hall of Famer, or did the second half of their career just, it just fell off a cliff? There's no argument to be had on any of those guys that you wrote about today. I did mention Gary Suter. He is a guy that I, I think the case is maybe stronger than people would think. He is, you know, to start with, he is the, we always hear, you used to hear it for Pierre Turgeon, highest scoring player that's not in the Hall of Fame. You hear it for Keith Kachuk. He's got the most goals of anyone not in the Hall of Fame. Gary Suter's the highest scoring defenseman not in the Hall of Fame of eligible guys, and it's not even close. And he's one of those guys where, you know, you look at the resume for the Norris trophies and that, and you don't really see it. But I, this guy was playing in the Ray Bork, Chris Chelios, Paul Coffey era. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't expect a, him to be racking them up. I, and, and plus, also as an American, a guy that... Uh, it was a big part of that program developing and, and becoming uh, the powerhouse that it uh, eventually became. You're not going to get a lot of support in Canada. As soon as you say Gary Suter, people are thinking Wayne Gretzky and they're thinking Paul Correa and they're yep. not, uh, not happy about either. But he's, he's a guy with an option. Um, as I wrote in the column, uh, Rick Martin was a guy that I, uh, from the French connection line, 
was a guy that I didn't uh, fully appreciate, uh, didn't really see him um, it, when I was, by the time I was a hot, became a hockey fan, uh, his, his best years were, were behind him. Um, but he's a guy that I look at. I was surprised at how strong his case is a guy that, you know, to put it in a more modern context, think about Paul Correa, think about Cam Neely, guys like that, where they were great and they were well on that hall of fame track and then they get hurt. Uh, you know, Martin's that sort of guy where you look at it and you go, man, if he, if he hadn't messed up his knee and then like it wasn't treated right and everything and his career just pretty much ended uh, almost, you know, out of, out of nowhere, he'd be a guy that would be up there. And then the the other guy that I guess I don't think is going to get in, and I don't think I could really make a case, but of all the guys that I mentioned, and maybe of just of all the guys who aren't in the Hall of Fame period, there's there's two ways that you can talk about this. You can look at the stats and the resumes and all of this stuff and, and make all the comparisons, or you can just go by that that Hall of Fame eye test of who was it that at some point you were watching them and you were going, that guy's going to be a Hall of Famer for sure. And you know, that you're, you're at the game and you're telling your friends or your kids or, you know, your dad or whoever you're with watch that player. Cause that's a hall of famer. And the guy for me, and you, you mentioned him, Ron Hextel. If you had told me three years into his career, that Ron Hextel wasn't going to be in a hall. This guy was the coolest hockey oh player God. that we had ever seen. I mean, this guy is, first of all, he comes in as a goalie, Vezina, Calder, Con Smythe, first year, he's in the running for everything, drags a Philadelphia team to the Stanley Cup final twice in three years, but he's doing, he, his goaltending was Vezina quality, and yet it was the third most interesting thing about him because he was attacking guys left and right, and when he got bored of doing that, he was scoring goals, which we it like blew our minds back then. Yeah. Like goalie goals are rare today, but we'd never even conceived that a goalie could do that. He does it twice. As I said in the piece, he was he was a goalie on an American team doing national ad campaigns in Canada because he was that cool. And I mean, if you, the Hall of Fame being, a, you know, a lot of people put the underline on fame, man, I don't know that there was a player that was more fascinating to watch for the first few years of his career. And, and you know, he didn't fall off a cliff afterwards. He was pretty good for, you know, he had his good and his bad years. Um, but some injuries in the trade to the Nordiques and the, in the Lindros deal kind of, uh, spelled the end of him as an elite guy, but that would be out of everyone. The one guy that I would look back on and go, you're kidding me. This guy doesn't make the hall of fame. I mean, just based on how much fun he is to watch in his first few years, he should be halfway there already. You know, what's interesting is, is in Sean's piece, um, he has a link to that Canada dry ginger ale commercial from the eighties. And there's two things that jump. Well, the, the thing that jumps out at me is, you know, nowadays when you see a lot of athletes in ads, like I always think of like, even like, remember when Shaq, what was Shaq doing? Like icy hot patches. It's always like a generic Jersey that like, it'll yeah. be the colors of the team, but it's not Ron Hexall is straight up wearing a flyers Jersey in this Canada dry commercial. And I'm wondering when's the last time we've seen an athlete, like, like usually like, it's all generic mm -hmm. stuff, right? Yeah, it's like Ron Edmonton hockey player, Connor McDavid. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I don't know any of the background on that. How much would you be willing to bet that that's just because he showed up, they had a Flyers jersey, and nobody thought to check, you know? Yeah. Nobody was going to complain. No lawyers involved. It was just, yeah, here you go, man, and uh, you and your mustache are going to drink Canada Dry in a way too seductive way, and, uh, you know, for the camera, and, and then... That was it, man. You don't have to be sweet to be good. Great tagline. That's an all-timer. right? Yeah. I'd, I'd love to know what came first, the tagline, or we got Ron Hextel to do our ad. You had to, They must have built the ad campaign around Ron Hextel, right? You would think so, but I don't know. You know, Canada Dry, you can picture them saying, you know, you don't have to be sweet to be good. Oh, I like that. Okay, well, who could we get? And the, just the first guy to go... <laughs> Ron Hextel, you know, you're, you're, they're all sitting under the bar going, there's got to be somebody. And then in the background, you see Ron Hextel just chasing Rob Brown around with his stick. And somebody goes, I think we got our guy. Yeah. I'm so jealous. I wasn't old enough to enjoy this era, this, this Ron Hextel breakout era. Like just listening to you talk about it, I am genuinely upset that I, that I'm, I did I'm not like, I'm trying that. to even <laughs> think of like an equipment, like I, I, it, it, it's it, it's it would be outrageous to even make the comparison but like what we're seeing in baseball with otani where, where he's like pitching and hitting at the same time you're just like how is that even 
the idea that you had a goaltender who could score goals and was also your team's goon was just was absolutely nuts. And, uh, I mean, and he was in Philadelphia. Like it just yeah, fit, right? Like perfect. it just exactly. Fit. You know what I remember too about him, Sean? And again, those like mid to late eighties Stanley Cups are like the, those are the ones like I, I I don't really remember much about. Like I don't remember the Islanders dynasty really. Mm-hmm. I do remember the Oilers, and I remember the Oilers Flame uh, Oilers Flyers Cup. And do you remember this about Ron Hextall that he used to take his stick and he would like wrap both yep. sides of the goalposts. Like mm-hmm. it was this kind of very intricate, Jesse, it was like this intricate routine. Let's say they were about to do a face off and he would take his stick and he would like wrap it against the, the crossbar, the crossbar, sorry, the post like this and then, and then get ready. And, yeah. and I, did you know who else did that? that? You know who else did that? Every kid who got stuck yep. playing goal in road hockey, yes. man, you couldn't like, you couldn't start the game because we all had to do it. And it's just, again, it was classic Hextel because every other goalie, what do they do, right? They talk to their posts. They thank their posts. This guy's like just physically assaulting them, just beating the crazy. You better be there for me tonight. It was, man, it was, uh, it was fantastic. It was also the yeah. first goalie to put the, uh, bring the water bottle out, put it on top of the net. That was another uh, was innovation. He? And uh, yeah, turned into a whole, uh, whole issue in the, uh, Stanley Cup final because uh, Glenn Sather complained about it. Glenn Sather, the Oilers, had the famous that he was like, what are we going to bring a roasted chicken out for them to snack on next? Like, you know, get him out of there. So uh, it was uh, it was a whole big uh, controversy. So, yeah, good old Ron Hextel, man. I don't die. I'm, I'm saying this is the most pro Ron Hextel podcast that's been recorded in the last few years, right? And there's yeah, like yes. Penguins and Flyers fans now who only know him as like a front office guy. And they're like, come on. It's uh, you've, you've been beaten up long enough, Ron. This it's about time you got some uh, some positive uh, some positive coverage. Yeah, we we could bring in Josh Yoey and Rob Rossi here too uh, to yeah. to round just up tell the round him, just be like, hey, yeah, Sean just uh, talked for twenty minutes about how great a job Ron Hextel did. What do you think? Count, point counterpoint. <laughs> um, you know, you and I, uh, Sean, we were part of a little roundtable uh, that we dropped on the Athletic uh, Wednesday. You, me, Dan, uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman, who covers the Oilers, Julian McKenzie, who covers the Flames. And I jokingly, I think in our Slack channel, referred to it as like the, uh, what I say, the panel of the eternal damned. Yeah, because, something, like that, yeah. mm-hmm. something like that. Because Ottawa, Toronto, Edmonton, and Calgary are all off to suboptimal starts. And in the case of Edmonton, it feels like it's a full-fledged panic. In the case of Ottawa, it feels like it's getting close. Malaise might be the best word to use to describe Toronto and Calgary, where it's just sort of this sort of, I'm numb to it all. But but as we were putting that together, the, the task was state the reason why Team X and their fan base should be the angriest. Yep. Coming away from that, who does have the right right now to be the angriest in I, Canada? You know, and and like I said, it's uh, I think it's it's tough for me to make the case that it's the Leafs, and, and it it has not been great in Toronto for sure. Um, they've you know the record's okay, six four and two, but. Uh, they, they've had three big comeback wins. Uh, they've had, uh, you know, shootout win over the abs, that sort of thing where it's like, you know, it, it, they, they're not clicking at all. And the ways that they're losing or the ways that they're not playing well are all the same ways that we're all worried about heading in the season. So it's, it's kind of like, Oh, here we go again. If you're a Leafs fan, um, that said, I don't know that we can touch what was ha- what was happening in Calgary at least until they won the last couple of games and what's happening right now in Ottawa um if the senators win tonight in Toronto probably flips that script and now we're back to panic time more for the maple leafs but i got to say like really i i think we all have to kind of bow our heads in the direction of the edmonton oilers right now cuz i i can't i mean they're the worst team of the four had the highest expectations i would argue of the four and it it really does feel like um, you know, not that it's not that it's already too late for them because again, they have to play it like what, like a hundred and five point pace to to get back. That's doable for that team. But you look at the contract situations coming up and the the extensions and everything, and and the Jack Campbell scenario. And now it's you know, is it going to be the coach? Is it going to be this or that? They feel like they're maybe two or three games away, and maybe it's not even that because they got San Jose tomorrow, and oh boy, I mean. You, you can't even imagine it, but if if they lose to San Jose, oh boy, they 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 might clinch it as far as the worst of the four. They they might they might have us all beat permanently at that point because I can't imagine there's anything lower as a rock bottom than that. 
man. Hey, Jesse, I'm curious too about, about the Jack Campbell stuff. As Sean mentioned, you know, you don't often see a goalie with that much term left on his deal uh, and a team just basically washing their hands. Of it. You know, Ottawa did that. You know, Ottawa did that with Matt Murray. So it's not like it isn't unprecedented, but it is the nuclear option, right? Like we can agree this is the new, this is, this is detonating the relationship in, 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 in all likelihood. Do you ever see a path to Jack Campbell getting it back? Or do you just think, you know, it, this, this position is so predicated on confidence that this young man, I just don't think he has it. It feels like he's a broken goaltender. Does he ever get it back? It's going to be tough. I mean, I agree with you. It feels like he's a broken goalie. And to me, if he's in a situation, um, I was just having this conversation the other day. I just feel like there is not a harder job in the NHL than the goalie of the Edmonton Oilers um, for multiple reasons. I think you have a loose team in front of you. It's, it's a good team. Even when they're playing well, they're still a loose team that gives up big chances. And, and the expectation is so high. So you've got really high expectations. You've got a team that doesn't do you any favors in front of you. And then when you don't play well, the pressure and the outside scrutiny is higher than pretty much anywhere. I just think that combination is why this team can't find a goalie that plays well. I mean, even Skinner, I was very high on Skinner after last year. And then he comes into this season and he's really struggling. And I'm just starting to think it's not the goalies. Um, they, I mean, for a while there, you could say they haven't brought the talent in, but Campbell was doing fine in Toronto. He had, it looked like it was such a great story, right? Like he had finally found it. He had turned things around and he's a talented goalie. I don't think the goalies are the problem in Edmonton. And I, and because of that, and because Jack Campbell is signed to such a long-term deal and now he's in their AHL affiliate Bakersfield, it just, I don't see an easy route to him getting back on his feet and being a, the starting, a $5 million goalie that they, that they want him to be. Um, and now for, if you're Edmonton, you've got, he's counting three and a half million towards the cap to play in Bakersfield. And you bring up Calvin Pickard, who is not the solution. He hasn't had a safe percentage above 900 since I think 2017. So it's been a while. Um, I just, and like it's on Stuart Skinner to, to, to pull himself up and, and be as good as he was last year. And I think it's tough playing behind a team that's not playing that well with all the scrutiny they've had it that is such a tough situation i do not envy anyone playing goalie for the edmonton oilers it is like it's not it's not mackenzie blackwood in san jose where it's just a firing squad every night but mackenzie blackwood can let in some goals and it's not the end of the world like the expectation isn't there for him to be perfect every night um it's such a tough situation uh, for for campbell and in terms of i wasn't part of the panel for angriest I think that the, it's interesting, like Edmonton, the, the, the expectations were so high. I feel like that's the easy answer. They, they should be the angriest. They were the Stanley Cup favorites. And now they're like, like Sean said, they're the worst of the teams. But to me, like if you're an Edmonton fan, at least there's hope, right? The talent's there. You've got two of the best players on the planet. Like they were just in the conference final. There's still some hope that they can turn this around and, and have a fantastic season. I think if you look at Calgary and Ottawa, there the hope is obviously a lot less that they can do that, and it's almost none now. And and every day game that goes by, the hope gets less and less. I feel like I would be angrier in that situation if if you told me you can be a fan of one of these two teams. I'd be more angry in the hopeless situation that we keep saying this is going to be Ottawa's year where they're good and they just aren't. And and I would rather be an Oilers fan that has at least the hope that we've got two superstars that can turn this thing around. Yeah, that's a, it's a it's a great point, Sean. Before we let you go, uh, I think you do you actually have a unique perspective on Jack Campbell too because he was Toronto's goalie before he goes to Edmonton. Like, did you like when they signed the five times five? Like, did you think that was just a massive overpay, or did you think uh, you know what maybe this will work out? Like, like you go back to the end of Jack Campbell's era in Toronto. Did you did you ever think it was going to end this way for him in Edmonton? No, I, I, it's, first of all, by all accounts, he's a great guy. So it, it stinks to watch this play out. I mean, you, it's hard not to root for him. Um, it, it was a strange situation because he, he had some, some very decent stretches in Toronto and that last year, he was great for half the season and then not very great for half the season. And it didn't seem like they made any effort at all to, uh, to lock him in, uh, which seems strange. 
I, I will tell you, when the Oilers signed him to that five-year, $5 million deal, it wasn't the $5 million that worried me. It was the five-year. It was that commitment, that long-term commitment, because, uh, you know, I, I was sitting there going, you know, it may change the scenery, go somewhere to, you know, play with it's Connor McDavid's team. They're going to be a cup, cup contender for years. They're going to be all good. Uh, he'll be fine, but man, if it doesn't work out, they're really locked in, uh, and they are, and it's it's tough. Let me let me just throw this at you before I I ditch on you. Jack Campbell plus something of decent value for John Gibson. Who says no? Who says Gibson's no? got the bigger contract? They're both the same length. Campbell, you can bury in the minors. Obviously, Gibson's a better goalie right now, having a good season. If I'm Edmonton, I'm Ken Holland. I'm desperate for my job. I, I'm interested. If I'm Anaheim, I may be saying this is my one chance to get out from under a deal that's Ooh. maybe even worse. Is I forget who says no? Is anyone slamming the phone down on that? But but if you're well, Anaheim, Jesse and I were talking about this like just before we came on the air. Anaheim's having like a real fun, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're a playoff team. I don't want to. I, but if you trade John Gibson in the next two weeks. You're basically putting up the white flag on the season, aren't you? For Jack Campbell? And I don't you know that be, you although, can do that. Although the backup, who I barely have even heard of, is playing just as well as, yeah. as John Gibson. I mean, it's this is that tough thing, Oof. right? Like you always, you look at last year, right? It was, oh, we could never, the, the Sharks can never get out from this Eric Carlson contract. And then he had a great year and you're like, oh, maybe we can. And then they didn't get all that much for him. Sometimes you got to jump at the opportunity to get out from these deals when you can't. Although you're getting Jack Campbell back, it's it's as bad a deal or worse, but you know, I'm just, I, I, you don't, you know me, I'm, I'm a helper. I'm trying to put stuff out there. You know, I don't want to just sit here and criticize Ken Holland. I'm going to offer some suggestions as well. Make the call is all I'm saying. I like, I, I don't think the John, I think the, the Campbell contract is infinitely worse than the John Gibson contract. I don't think the John Gibson contract's that bad. And, and I think yeah. I'm probably, I'm in the minority there. 6.5 for a guy who, has not been a net positive goalie in four or five years until the last couple of weeks. That's me ignoring the stats because he plays okay. behind an embarrassment of a defense and they've been better this year. They've been better and they're not, they're not a defensive stalwart. Look at their numbers. They aren't, they aren't the Kings or the Knights shutting everyone down, but they've just been an actual hockey team. They've been a, a functioning hockey team with players that know where they're supposed to go. And suddenly John Gibson's good again. It's like, Oh my God, it's almost like he was good the whole time. And he just can't stop everything behind this sieve of a defense. I, my opinion of Gibson is higher than most. Um, and I think that that contract's just fine. And I agree with Ian. Like if the, if the ducks want to win and they've played well enough through the first month to, to, to at least give their GM the option of thinking that's possible to make the playoffs. And, and you mentioned Lucas Dostal. He's been awesome. Um, he was one of my goalie breakout candidates this year. I actually nailed one. So um, I'm glad I didn't whiff on all of them. He's, he's been very good. And um, I think he could, could be a starter down the road, but right now, if you're the ducks, if you want to make the playoffs, you got to keep John Gibson trading for Campbell would just like Ian said, that's you're throwing that away. All right. All right. Well, I, I like that at the very least, we got the Ducks a new marketing slogan. The Anaheim Ducks, a functional hockey team. Functional yes, hockey team. What a catch. Yeah, love it. All right, Sean, thanks for uh, thanks for dropping by. We look forward to uh, to hitting up uh, or catching up with you again next week. Right on. Thanks, guys. There goes Sean McAdoo. Down goes Brown, leaving us with a question to ponder, a trade proposal. I love it. I'd love to hear from our listeners, too. If you're an a- Anaheim fan, Edmonton fan, any fan, who says no? To that proposal that uh, that Sean threw out, which is essentially Jack Campbell to Anaheim. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Jack Campbell to Anaheim for John Gibson, and that Edmonton would have to add a sweetener or something to to balance it out. Um, boy, uh, well here we go. It's uh, that plus is going to have to be pretty major to take on Campbell, says uh, Michael. Ducks are hoping to be okay at least in a few years. Like I agree too. Like I, I think the message you would send is not a great one. Anaheim, they got the good vibes going right now. Don't mess with it. Maybe in two weeks we can revisit it if they lose four or five and they fall right. back to earth, but not now. It would be like Vancouver all of a sudden being like, you know what, now's the time to trade JT Miller or something, just something that, you know what, don't mess with anything right now. That's all. 
Yeah. Speaking of Vancouver, how nice is it that they aren't part of that panel right there? Um, for once, uh, you, oh there may God. not be an angrier, there may not be an angrier fan base. Like since I've been old enough to watch hockey than the Canucks, it's nice for them to not be part of that conversation. They are fun to watch. They're they're awesome right now. Thatcher Demko's playing out of his mind. They're scoring goals. That te- that's when I when I turn on the 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 games every night. That's one of the teams I'm constantly yeah. drawn to because they play fun hockey. Well, because I mean, Quinn Hughes is playing at an elite level, and it's only a, a ten or a dozen games. But you know, Peters, uh, Elias Peterson is flying. Uh, Quinn Hughes is flying. Demko is flying. Besser is looking a little bit more confident. Like everything. Like when you're, it's amazing when your best players are your best players. How simple this game can look sometimes, and it's it's, it's good for Vancouver. Sure. It's interesting, right? Because now when you're paying attention to some of the NHL insiders, like the Pierre Lebruns of the world, Patrick Kane's name is coming up and that Patrick Kane has been working out. And at some point he's going to, you know, kind of create a short list and then he's going to choose a destination. He's going to finish out the season. He's basically going to be, he's like a hired gun, right? So as we look around the league, I, I mean, and, and, and the thing is, Jesse, as I look at, at cap friendly, I mean, there's so much like the team you cover Vegas, they're capped out. Colorado, capped out. Tampa, capped out. So a lot of these legit heavyweights, they don't have the room to potentially bring in a Patrick Kane. Now, the Rangers, they do, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they've, they've got some room, right, to play with because of uh, a little bit of LTIR or whatever. But, I, like, where do you see Patrick Kane ending up here if, if, he's, got the, if he's got a choice? Where does Patrick Kane end up? I, I mean, I, I think you nailed it right right there with like the Rangers seem like the team there. There aren't very many teams that are good enough to want to add a player like that and have room to add the player. Um, They, they are one of the few fits. And I think the Rangers are obviously off to a very good start. They're going to be in the thick of, of the playoff chase and being a contender for the cup all season long. So I think they're to me, they're the obvious choice. And for, for one, a team that would want Patrick Kane and two, a team that Patrick Kane would want to go play for um, and and maybe has the dollars. I mean, the other thing is one of these teams could make a trade like covering Vegas. I've learned just because there <laughs> yeah. isn't cap space today means pretty much nothing. There can be cap space tomorrow very easily if we want there to be. So uh, maybe there's a team out there that, that has an, uh, a guy that's not performing that they can that they can trade to make some space for Patrick Kane. Yeah, I, I know for now they have the, the, the Rangers have the space, but again, that's you know predicated on some injuries. When I, you know what I'd love to right. see him end up, which would I think would be fun, is Florida. And you know, the Panthers are a fun team that got to the cup final last year. I don't know where they are as a team right now. I don't even I, I'm not even sure I can say that they're a guaranteed lock it in playoff team, but I'd love to see Patrick Kane go to South Florida and maybe give that program a little bit of a an injection and, and say, you know what? Like, yeah, we believe this is the year. This is the team, right? Like yeah. I think another team along those lines. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think he's a good fit there and I think they could use some scoring boost. Um, another team that again, with the cap space, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy, but I think Carolina is off to a little bit of a slow start. And I think that they've got a lot of, a lot of guys that can, that can play with Patrick Kane, right? Like they, they have a lot of skilled fast players. I think Patrick Kane would be a good fit there. Um, they tried with Max patch ready last year, kind of a similar situation where let's bring in that one guy to, to, to come in. And obviously patch ready couldn't stay healthy enough to, to be that guy. But I think um, Carolina is a, a team that is looking for one more scorer. I think Kane fits that. The Panthers are in Washington on Wednesday night. Interesting game. You know what? Nobody's talking about the. It was also the Capitals came out of the gate. They looked slow. Did the backstrom story? And everyone's like, "Well, that's the end of Washington." They've won four of five, and they're you know they they're they're still waiting on Pacioretty, and they're still like, I don't know. But if Washington wins on Wednesday, if Washington beats Florida, I'm not I'm not here to make any crazy proclamations that Washington is a playoff team or whatever. I'm just here to say if they beat Florida and go to 6-4 and 1 to start the year, I think it's time we look a little differently at Washington and maybe we don't just we don't just automatically say you're done. I maybe they maybe they have worked their way back into the bubble of the the conversation because they're kind of sitting where I think Jesse a lot of people thought the Penguins would be sitting. Like full credit yeah. to the Caps, they're five, four, and one to start the year when everybody rolled the, you know, and and this isn't the Ovechkin show, right? He's, 
He's got two goals. It's interesting. I feel like we do this so often in hockey more than any other sport where we we like proclaim the team is done and then they aren't. Like the Bruins yeah. obviously was like the extreme example last year, but um the Capitals have really talented players that we are just projecting their age is going to to catch up to them, right? Like it's not like the Capitals had this exodus where they lost all their talented players. Like it's the same guys that have been in the playoffs basically every year forever. And we're just assuming that this is the year that they're going to be a really bad team because those guys are all going to be old and maybe they aren't quite as old and slow as we we thought they were going to be. They know how to win. Um, they have solid goaltending. That's where it all starts for me. Darcy Kemper's been pretty good this year. Um, he's got solid backups. Lindgren, um, they're they're not great, but they're good enough to give him nights off. Um, I don't think they're a bad team at all, and I think they can they can be a bothersome team that can possibly be around that bottom, like that bubble of the playoffs. Like you said, they're not an easy out. I don't think any team is looking on the schedule and saying, "Oh, good, we play Washington." This that would that'll be an easy night. Yeah, uh, Andy, a viewer is saying uh, Ovechkin's shot doesn't look scary anymore. Maybe not as intimidating. Yeah, two goals in ten games. Uh, for Alex Ovechkin, the other two games on the schedule on Wednesday, Jesse, just happened to involve the two teams that we cover. Let's start with the Vegas Golden Knights. Pacific Division heavyweight battle on our hands Wednesday night. Vegas, the last time they had a uh, what we hyped up as a, a heavyweight battle, they showed up against the Avalanche. I mean, I, they showed up. Can they do it again? This time against L.A. And L.A. is going to have something to prove because I think the Kings are probably looking at this game as a measuring stick more so than Vegas. Yeah, I totally agree that I think this game is more important for the Kings than it is for the Golden Knights. The Golden Knights already went to LA and won a game um, this year. So they've, they've kind of proven themselves, obviously that game against Colorado, but I remember going into that game against Colorado and, and we were kind of talking to Bruce Cassidy and he said, no, I like we were, we don't know how they're going to show up. And he goes, no, actually I, I do. They're going to show up. The players are going to show up. The, these are the types of games they show up for. We always play well in these types of games. And they did seven, nothing. Um, I don't expect that to be the case uh, tonight. LA is a much tighter defensive team. They aren't going to uh, Jared Bednar after that game said um, the difference between Vegas and Colorado right now is Vegas makes you beat them. Um, they don't hand you opportunities and we aren't that right now. And he's totally right. The avalanche, forced play, they forced action, they were overly aggressive, and they pinched in spots they shouldn't, they tried to make passes they shouldn't, and Vegas uh, took advantage every single time and made them pay. The Kings are the opposite. They are going to make you earn every goal you score on Los Angeles, you earned that goal. They play the 1-3-1, they muck up the neutral zone, they make it so difficult on you, so I expect, um, it's, it's kind of a similar game, measuring stick, two of the top teams in the West, but I expect a totally different looking game tonight in terms of this will be a tight checking game. It'll look like a playoff game. Um, the teams are going to be checking tight. There's not going to be a lot of space. You're going to have to probably score some dirty goals, um, but I think Vegas is going to be up for it. I can't wait. It's going to be a really fun one. Okay. Playoff game. That means Vegas scores nine. That's the right. way it works. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny. Like uh, LA was here last week and then I also saw LA the week before uh, in Arizona. And the one thing Jacob Chikrin told me last week, I asked them, I said, like, what makes L.A. so good? Because L.A. came in here, uh, Jesse, and granted, Ottawa, I think, has just struggled a little bit with their identity. But they were just so unbelievable in the neutral zone. They didn't give up anything. They're just airtight. And Chikrin said after the game, he's like, they just don't ever get away from their structure. Ever. Like, they don't ever deviate from the plan. And that's what makes the Vegases and the Bostons and, and I, you know, to some extent, LA, that's what makes them good is that ability. Every team has structure. Every team has a game plan, but how many of them stick with it for 45 to 60 minutes a night? Usually you can count on one hand and that's the difference. The, the Ottawa's and the, you know, those teams in the mushy middle, they, they'll give you 27 good minutes, but then they'll deviate from the structure for half an hour. And that's what gets them. Every time, every time. Yep. And so and I, it's it to me. This L.A. Vegas game is the game of the night in terms of on the ice. Like you said, Clash of Titans. This the game with the juiciest storylines is in Toronto. It's Ottawa, Toronto, and this has nothing to do with the provincial rivalry. But I'll say this: I do not want to be the coach of the team that loses tonight. I don't want to have to face the media because there's going to be some tough questions. Doesn't matter. There's no way the losing team on Wednesday walks away and they're like feeling good about the game. Like it's a moral victory. Like, ah, you know what? 
We're getting there. No one's feeling that way. It's desperation time in Ottawa. They need the win. And in Toronto, they were real darn lucky they came back to beat uh, uh, Tampa on Monday. Because, Jesse, if they don't win that game and they don't storm back and Matthews doesn't go full Matthews, we're having a different conversation today. They, they, they eat that one out. The loser of this game on Wednesday, it is not going to be a fun ride for them because the, the, the fan base is going to get super agitated here. Who do you think has more pressure? I think, oddly, it's Ottawa. Because yeah. you know why? And it's because of the nature of what's happening in Ottawa with the crowd kind of getting on the coach and the players understandably kind of getting a little testy and everyone's getting ordered. In Toronto, it's almost like they're just shrugging their shoulders like, ah, here we go again, except you know the way you guys usually play in April is the way you're playing in November. Like That's, that's the, the difference. Whereas in Ottawa, they're like, we're dying for a chance to play in April. It's just that our season always is submarine in November. It's it's just this weird mix of what's happening here. But it's, yeah, it should be, yeah, man, it should be a, a fun one. Look at this. We got a viewer saying, I'm popping the edibles for Ottawa, Toronto. I'm too nervous. Go, sends, go. Popping the edibles. Sounds like a great night of hockey. <laughs> there you go. Just be chill <laughs> totally, about it. Just see whatever yeah, happens, yeah. happens. That's, that's the I, deal. All right. Uh, we'll leave it there. I just want to give you a chance before we let you go. Um, anything, anything fun that uh, obviously you cover the golden Knights, but sometimes you work on other features and other cool stories anything you want us to kind of keep an eye on that you might have coming, uh, coming down the line here or anything, yes, this is anything you, you need some help from the, the audience to give you some direction for a story that you're, you're thinking about anything like that. Well, I mean, now that you mention it, if like, honestly, like I've, I'm kind of taking on the goalie beat this year. I'm absolutely loving it. Been writing a lot of goalie stuff. If anyone out there has goalie questions, whether it's technical stuff, um, yeah. anything that you think would be a good story that, that, that you, you want to see, uh, let me know and so, I'll write it. Uh, I actually, along those lines, I, I don't know. And I apologize if you've done this, but have you ever done a goalie mailbag, so to speak, where like, let's say, okay, no. so here's what we do. Here's how we do it. Oh, not we, you, this is your beat, not mine. Here's, here's what we're going to do, Jesse, is you throw out a mailbag, say, call it the goalie mailbag. And you're probably going to get a lot of parents whose daughters and sons play goalie and are looking for technical advice, equipment advice, mental advice, and they fire in all their questions. Then you take, you know, six or seven of them. And then over the course of two or three weeks, you ask different goalies around the league to answer the questions. And then you say, you have questions for goalies. I got the answers. I love Holy it. Mailbag. Done. It's happening. That's, there that's we go. on, that's on the it. budget. Talk there to my editor go. now. There we um, go. But Let's do it. Go what is actually, back. yeah, what actually is on the docket though, this is great timing uh, tomorrow coming out. I've been working on it for basically since the season started. Um, I'm really excited for it. Goalie tandem power rankings. Um, we have, we've, yeah, we've done this. goalie power rankings a million times. Every website on the planet has done it, but it's always just the individuals. And as the NHL goes more towards tandems, it's, we saw with the Golden Knights last year, it's more important the group of goalies you have more than ever um, than it is just having one superstar starter and, and just who cares about the backup. You can't win games like that anymore. You have to have not just to win the games that your backup plays, but you've got to have a good enough backup to give your starter the rest he needs. You have to be confident in the backup to, to lighten the workload so that you can have your, your guy at his best when the season comes. So the way the NHL is going, I decided I think it's better to rank them as tandems. Uh, most of them are two. There are a few teams with three, surprisingly, this year. But uh, yeah, goalie tandem power rankings comes out tomorrow morning on The Athletic. I, I'm really excited about it. Okay. And, and you know what? Those always spark off as a spark a debate, right? Like people are like my team is too high or too low yep. and, uh, and all of that. So I love it. So yeah, that's, that's great. Looking for, and is this going to be like a, an ongoing thing? Like, so like, uh, you know, at the halfway mark, you kind of redo them. Yeah, that's the plan. Um, obviously yeah, not okay. as, not as, not as, uh, often as like the regular power rankings every week. Um, the goalies yeah. don't change that much from week to <laughs> no. week, but yes, I think a couple times a season and maybe going into the playoffs, we can do like power ranking the tan, the, the playoff tandems, uh, just here and there throughout the year. It's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Looking forward to, to reading it and seeing where, uh, where Ottawa ends up. And I'm thinking it might be in the bottom third, the way the season has gone, uh, for them so far. All right. Hey, Jesse, thanks for, uh, for pinch hitting here, man. This, uh, this was a really fun hour. This, this, this 60 minutes just flew by today. Yeah. You, you make things easy. Uh, you, you <laughs> the, be, being your co-host is about as easy of a job as it gets. I uh, love coming on here. 
Oh, love having you. And I uh, want to thank everybody for hanging out with us for the last hour or so and listening to this Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating review. Uh, Jesse, myself, Julian, all everybody. We all appreciate that. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. I want to let you know a little programming note. Um, your next edition of the Athletic Hockey Show will come your way Monday of next week. I'm jetting off to uh, to Europe to cover the Sweden series uh, with the Ottawa Senators. So it'll be Mark Lazarus, Julian McKenzie with you. We're going to try to do a live show Monday, 2.30 Eastern time. Until then, have a great week and we'll talk to you next week.